One of humankind's greatest questions is, why do we suffer? After listening to the variety of perspectives out there, some might wonder, is there only one answer? Betty Eady, a wife and a mother, says she was given an answer to that question after she died. Her account of the afterlife is considered one of the most detailed, and we got a chance to hear it straight from the source. I'm Subiamba, and this is Mysteries of Life. Hearing about Betty Eady's childhood life and struggles can stir the soul. Racism, discrimination, and even the death of her baby girl. Betty's been through a lot, but in a sense, you could say she's transformed the bad into the good. Her near-death experience has been heard by millions, inspiring an uncountable number of people since 1992, the year her book Embrace by the Light was published. You have one of the most detailed accounts of near-death experiences. But before we dive into that, could you please tell us about yourself before the near-death experience in terms of your faith, your family, and your spiritual values and beliefs? I was raised in a Catholic boarding school from the age of four. Uh, it was Native American back in around. 1946, I guess, seven. Uh, they were taking the Indian children out of homes and placing them in schools to educate them. You know, not in the education that you would think that they took them for, but to educate them so that they could be more European in, in their thinking and ways. We were not allowed to speak our language. We were not allowed to worship in a spiritual manner, and the Native people did worship at that time. But I was only four. And all I knew, you know, coming from that perspective, is that I was taken from my parents. Betty was one of estimated tens of thousands whom the U.S. government tried to, quote, civilize. Between the 19th and 20th century, the federal government would forcibly take Native children away from their families sending them to Indian boarding schools, some operated by the government, others by churches. Children were also sent voluntarily by their families, among the reasons why they could be housed and fed these sites. Through re-education and discipline, Native culture was suppressed. Their hairstyles, their languages, their spiritual beliefs, it was all prohibited or discouraged. To the school system, Western and Christian culture would have to be the new Native way. That, to me, created a lot of my uh, insecurities, being very timid, uh, also not trusting uh, other people. I had uh, all, all kinds of things that a psychiatrist or psychologist would deem, um, I don't know, something that I'd have to spend years and years and years in, in a psychiatric treatment, actually. Um, I had a lot of built-up anger. I didn't express it because I was too timid. Uh, as I as I, I grew up and, and, and continued in these uh, Indian boarding schools. So um, went on from that. I married very young when I was 15. 
I married a boy next door just to get away from my environment. And we had uh, four children. One passed when she was three months old. We ended up getting a divorce, which I later learned that if the child passes, chances are marriage will fail as well. Because the hurt, it hurts so much that you just don't know what to do with it. I remarried, and uh, all this time, not really belonging to church or even believing in God, I just didn't trust that there could be a, jo a God that would uh, condemn the Indian people or any person to hell because of their race. And yet that's what I was taught in the boarding schools, that part uh, Native American, part Irish, and um, they said I was the worst of the lot. Although she did not believe in God, Betty said she did want to believe in him, but couldn't find him. She would eventually remarry, having three more kids. And at the age of 31, heeding the advice of her doctor, she got a hysterectomy, a surgery that would trigger one of the most consequential events of her life. Could you walk us through that day? What exactly happened? Where were you? Um, my husband took me into the hospital and I was frightened. I'd never been in a hospital for surgery before and just having my babies and that was, you know, it, it wasn't all that bad. But to go in and, and know that I'd be cut on, yes, that was very frightening for me. Uh, so we went into the hospital. Uh, they, this was way back when the husbands couldn't stay in the room. Um, they had busy hours from... Uh, I don't know, from two to four or something. And um, so he had to leave. And I was so frightened because I thought if I die, I'm sure to go straight to hell because I'm Indian and I am Irish. And uh, God doesn't want anyone of us with him. Uh, so that was very frightening. Well, during the surgery, I, uh, I bled, and they were able to stop that. Then laying in bed after recovery and returned to my regular room from, uh, from the recovery room, I don't remember too much of, of being placed in the bed except for that. I, I don't know. I had this, the best way to describe it is a feeling of foreboding. I just felt like something wasn't right. Something was going to happen. And it was, um, you know, I, I, I tried to call my husband and I did talk to him and I told him about my feelings. He comforted me. Uh, then I went on to sleep that night only to be awakened just hours after, it was around 9.30. And I felt myself dying. Uh, I know that when I die again, I will know what that feeling is because it's very distinct. It's very different. It's your body shutting down. And, and in my case, it began to shut down feet, from my feet up. And I could feel my legs dying. And by the time that death reached up to my shoulders, I felt this feeling inside, uh, 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 a movement 
a shuddering of my heart. And then that was it, it was, I was gone. Besides the feeling of, of dying, um, which was, like I say, it's a very distinct feeling. Um, then this movement in my chest, and then there was a, like a pop, and I, was, I came up out of my body. And uh, I, I just rose right up to the ceiling and pancaked my body looking down from the ceiling of the hospital. Um, now I had worked in hospitals before when I was studying to become a nurse. I know what a dead person looks like. So I came down close to take a bit, uh, closer look at myself. And I, and I thought, oh my God, I, I'm dead. I just became very frightened at that moment. But as each moment passed, and it passed very quickly, um, it's like waking up from amnesia. And I've been around people who have, have come out of amnesia. And so that's how I relate to this sudden awareness. Three ancient men with brown robes and golden belts around them. One had a hood up. And they appeared by the side of my bed and they told me that they had always known me always said on me through the eternities. I, I remember thinking, I know what an eternity is, but what is eternities? And they said they had known me through eternities and that they had loved me and that I had loved them and that they were my ministering angels. And they said, you have died, but you have died prematurely. So, and it was right after that then that I wanted to see my husband, because I knew I had died. I wanted to see my husband. I wanted to see my children. And again, minutes had passed. And so when I looked for an exit, I went out the window. Now you wouldn't go out the window if you were thinking right as a human being. But that's where I went. I knew I could go through that window, and I went through the window. And um, I'm going to call it flying there that I flew home. But actually, I don't know. It, it was just like time no longer exists between point A and point B, except for that I could feel the movement. I could feel that it was I was in flight. And I arrived at my home where my husband and children were. And he promised to put the kids to bed, so I was very angry at him because he hadn't, and they were running all over the place. So that is my experience there in the home. But when I, after the experience, after I came, had returned and told my husband that, he says, are you sure you had that? I said, yes, I know. I says, honey, I came home. And I saw you sitting in your chair, reading the newspaper, kids running all over the place. He just looked at me and he says, oh, my God. Well, <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, you nagged me on the grave, you know. He just couldn't believe that I, I mean, and that, I think, when I gave him details is when he could believe that what I experienced was for real. 
Betty says she had an understanding that she would go on, that she would no longer be with her family. This was the end of her earthly life, the finale of a native Irish woman's life, once called the worst of the lot, and on her way to potentially face punishment for her sins. So she thought. Soon after I got back, there was a sound that was the most, at first, the most beautiful sound, tinkling bells, chimes, just this movement, sound with new movement in it. They never bothered me. I felt excited about them, but it was like an energy that was preparing me to go with it. And it drew me into it. And this is when I went to this very peaceful black space. Um, it was so black that you couldn't, you could put your hand up and not see your hand. Uh, before going there, I was claustrophobic and uh, I couldn't stand small shelters. When I was a kid, when they punished us, we had to go into small cubicles, dark. And so I had an aversion to being around anything dark or shut in. But in this space, it was, if I hadn't gone on further, I would have wanted to stay there for the rest of my life. There was no condemnation. There was, I was waiting to be, all my sins of my past, I was waiting for all them to come. I thought maybe I'd be thrown into hell any minute now. <laughs> Nothing like that was happening. Not that I was disappointed at all, but I was awakening to something that was more fantastic and marvelous than mine, our minds can even imagine. And I felt that, but the love, it was like being bathed in liquid love in this dark space, going through a healing of some sort. And I surely did need a lot of, of that. So I, I just basked in it and enjoyed it until a pinpoint of light came into this black space. And I felt that the light was looking for me and I was looking up at it, and it just wandered around until it spotted me. And then it broadened to fill me in that light, and then drew me up into the light. And I began to travel in that white light. And um, as I got closer and closer and closer, it became more brilliant at the end. But I saw it was an image of a man. And as I got closer, I knew exactly who he was. It is still as vivid to me today as it was back then. And I have used these years, I, what's it been, 30, almost 40 years of sharing this experience uh, because I was sent back to do that. Um, so in, during the experience, uh, and, and the man I met, and sorry, but every time I tell this part of my experience, I well up inside mm -hmm. because I just miss him so much. The love, the acceptance, and I knew that he was Jesus. I knew he was Jesus.
I wanted to know why he sent me to earth into the family that I was in, the Indian, Irish, why I had to go to boarding schools, why did I have to have a miserable life? It's a question that many have. Looking at history, you find many answers. In Jewish and Christian culture, suffering could be the consequence of sin, a wrong that goes back to the fall of Adam and Eve. That theft, adultery, murder, and every other sin can be the cause of suffering, a debt to be paid. But to some, suffering can be part of a larger arrangement, not limited to sin. Take the man who was born blind mentioned in the Bible. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. In Buddhist schools, including religious and non-religious practices, suffering is said to be the result of karma. This leads to birth, old age, illness, and death. But here, suffering can also be understood as being part of a larger plan. The founder of Falun Gong, a Buddha school cultivation practice, gives a view of that plan in a recent article called How Humankind Came to Be. All of the madness now unfolding in the world was planned as such for the final phase by divine beings. Their goal was to test the lives here and see whether they were worthy of salvation and give them a chance to, in the process, work off their sins and karma while going through difficult things. And all of this was done so that people could be saved and gain deliverance back to heaven. It's been suggested in cultures around the world that our future is subject to forces beyond our control. If that were the case, then what is under our control? The story of Eva Kor, a Holocaust survivor, gives a perspective on this issue. At just 10 years old, Kor and her twin were abducted by Nazis, taken to the Auschwitz concentration camp, and became human guinea pigs in Joseph Mengele's deadly experiments. Kor says they would be naked for hours, three times a week as the Nazis study them. At other times, their blood would be drawn, and they would be given injections, potentially with drugs and pathogens. Miraculously, they were eventually liberated by the Soviets, but their parents and two siblings had died in Auschwitz. Despite it all, Kor made a decision that sent shockwaves in the Jewish community. She made a declaration of amnesty, saying that she forgave the Nazis for everything they did. She couldn't change her tragic past, but found that forgiveness, what was in her control, had set her free from the grip of pain and hate. After signing the declaration, she said, I was no longer a victim of Auschwitz. I was no longer a prisoner of my tragic past. I was finally free. More than tens of millions have heard her story. In 2019, during an annual trip to Auschwitz, Eva Kor passed away at 85. Betty says that Jesus spoke to her of forgiveness as well as he revealed why she had what Betty called a miserable life. More when we return on Mysteries of Life. Betty says Jesus told her that her suffering is the result of a decision she made in her past. He said because you selected that. You as a spirit being in heaven 
and grown to such wisdom that you wanted that challenge, that you were strong enough to endure that. And he said, in everything that you learn there, every experience that you draw to yourself is a learning experience, a learning curve that will grow your spirit so that when you return here, you will be greater than you were before you went there. Greater. Even the angels did not select to come here. They weren't prepared to come here. They didn't have the growth that every mortal being had in heaven. And each one of us took on the challenges that we knew we needed to have in order to grow and to acquire the greater attributes by God. We're here to acquire his attributes of of love is number one, love, forgiveness, all these things. And we, in order to get to that point of learning what it's like to love or what it's like to forgive, you go through all these different challenges. Some things are just almost unforgivable. And so we learn to deal with that. That's how we deal with it, that we grow our spirit to become more like, like he is. And um, so I was taken to different parts of heaven so that I could understand it in a greater way. I saw, um, I saw spirits preparing to be born on the earth. And it was interesting how they were selecting their parents, maybe just their mother or maybe just the father sometimes. Sometimes they were already a pair. They selected them. And he also said that we all have a mission to serve here on this earth, every one of us. It doesn't have to be grand or grandiose or anything like that. It could be just simply meeting someone and helping them along their path. So there's no way of saying whose mission is greater than another. So we just can't judge. We can walk down the street and see a drunken old bum. And they did show me this drunken bum's spirit. They took his spirit out of his body and I was humiliated by the contrast of his spirit versus mine. My mission, I believe, was to serve God by writing Embrace by the Light. Otherwise, why would he take me into heaven, give me all of this insight, and then tell me I needed to come back and then later telling me to write Embrace by the Light. I still feel compelled to share Embrace by the Light in all that I, I was taught there or remembered with whomever will listen. It doesn't matter to me because every soul is powerful. Every soul is deserving. And so you just learn to love them all and that is what Jesus said to me when he returned me back to earth. He said, above all else, love one another. And if you can do that, all else will be fine. That native Irish girl, once condemned to hell, the worst of the lot as she was called, 
grew up, met Jesus, and published a bestseller, inspiring millions. After hearing that message from heaven, Betty transformed her understanding of the pain she had suffered in life. To Betty, those bitter experiences, including death, were part of a larger plan crafted by none other than herself. It's been great having you with us, and we hope to see you next time on Mysteries of Life.